Hey Forge family, greet you this day. We are a blessed company of followers of Jesus Christ. We have great strength in our relationships to one another as family. And I thank God for that. In our last podcast, the Apostle Peter was writing in chapter 4 verse 12 that those in the churches, the house churches in Asia Minor, were beloved of God. And so are we. Peter preached that the purifying process of suffering for Jesus' namesake would prove and strengthen and purify the faith of those believers. Now, Peter has also ordered us to keep on rejoicing even when we're treated badly. His his urging, his command was, respond like Jesus did. The apostle taught that when others curse you and accuse you and shout you down, then we are blessed. It's the word makarios in Greek, remember? And it means happy, joyful, prosperous. Now that's in the realm of the spirit where it says, blessed are those who are persecuted, okay? who are reviled. Okay? In your spirit, you prosper. In your spirit, be joyful, be happy, be thankful. Thank you, Lord, that you see it, you understand it, you know it, and you are in my heart. Peter taught that when when, uh, we suffer, the spirit of glory and power from God rests and abides on the son or the daughter of the king who is suffering. So Forge family and brothers and sisters here who are listening to this, who are scattered abroad, when we wear the name of Jesus, we walk in that name, we trust in that name, we love one another, and we love our persecutors, then we evidence that we are Christians. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, all thanks be to you who watches over us and equips us by Holy Spirit to be lights in a dark place. Amen. All right, let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. My text says this. Yours may be a little different, but this is what it says. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Jesus and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, the Greek text here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, starts with the word presbyteros. It starts with the word elders. It doesn't start with, ex, uh, with therefore I exhort. It starts with elders. Okay, and because of its first position, that's the emphasis. Okay? Now, the text where is the word is presbyteros, and it, it, in Greek text it means older men. They are, they have some maturity on them. I mean, they have gray hair, but they, are, they have some maturity. And it's used in the New Testament to describe both the age of the elder and the function of the elder. See, these were leaders 
in the Christian gatherings in the towns and cities along that road that led from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea. Now, there's a long history about this word of elder. Okay, it's first referred to in Numbers chapter 11, where Moses is leading two and a half, three million people, and he is exhausted because uh, in that crowd of, of um, refugees who have come out of Egypt and have come into the wilderness on the way to the promised land, there are squabbles, there are differences of opinion, there are injuries, there, some of it's really of some magnitude and some of it's petty, and he's exhausted. And so his father-in-law takes Moses aside and says, what you're doing isn't good. What you need to do is choose men who are wise and let them judge the people, let them counsel the people, and Moses does that. You know, the Lord says that's a good choice. And 70 were chosen, some from every tribe, okay? And a share of the Spirit of God was placed on those elders, and it says they prophesied. You know, they they evidenced the presence of God's Spirit on them. That, That type of leadership of to begin to counsel and care for and make judgment in the camp of Israel was carried over to the synagogue. And the elders in the synagogues were charged with the government and order and discipline of each individual synagogue in the Jewish communities. Elders made up the large part of the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Jews. And so when Peter was dragged in before the Sanhedrin, you know, and and told, you don't talk about this Jesus ever again, Uh, surrounding him were all these elders, okay? Now we switch over and we talk about elders in Christian churches. Okay, they're charged with overseeing the financial administration. They can delegate that, but they are charged with oversight. All right, They are counselors, they are overseers of the church, and they're to watch over the purity and behavior of the flock of God while they teach the word. So Paul particularly is very... Um, careful to teach what it means to be an elder. And so in Timothy and First Timothy and Titus, in his epistles, there are lists of, he says, Here, here's what you want for, out of an elder. So I'm just going to pick the one out of First Timothy 3, and I'm going to blast through this. This is a whole other teaching for another time. But I want you to hear what it was. Well, this is the grid that the elders in these house churches in Asia Minor, this is the grid that through which they qualified to be leaders in the church. So 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 says, you, these, any who want it, and it's a neuter word, it's not men, it's not women, it's neutral. Okay, if any desires to hold the office of overseer, that's an elder, let them have a passionate desire to be a good leader. Second, they're to be above reproach. In other words, no one can bring a charge against them. They live an exemplary life. Third, they're to be a one woman sort of man, or potentially a one man sort of woman, depending on whether it's a man or a woman who is who is rising to this level of oversight. Like I said, that's a whole other teaching. Fourth, um, they were calm, they were circumspect, they were serious, they were earnest, they had lived an orderly life. They were hospitable, they opened their doors to strangers. They took in people they didn't know. They were not addicted to wine. They were not a brawler, 
with their fists or with their mouth. They were sweetly reasonable. They're not quarrelsome. They don't go through their leadership responsibilities with a chip on their shoulder and an argument on their lips. They were free from the love of money. They managed their own households well. And their children were in obedience. They were not new converts. And lastly, they had a good reputation outside the church in the marketplace. They weren't holy in the church and hell outside the church. They were God's men in both places. All right, so there's been 14 boxes checked, and Peter is addressing those who are elders amongst all these house churches. And he addresses the, those who are indeed, they've, they've, they've passed that, and they long, they long passionately for that role to lead and oversee churches. And then he turns and he refers to himself as first an elder, a fellow elder. Okay, I'm one of you guys. I had to pass through the same grid. I had to pass the same 14 categories. All right? And I am a witness. Second, he says, I'm one who's been called to bear testimony of what I saw and what I heard and what I did regarding the suffering of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, he says, I'm addressing you as a partaker. That's, that's one who, who's also going to share with him. Okay? I'm all, I'm, we're going to share in this together in the glory that is yet to be revealed, but it's coming soon. Peter believed with many other, the other apostles that the coming again of Jesus was right there. It was happening shortly. And then we, last week we looked at God's view of time, and we realized in God's view it is short. Now note, Peter, the apostle Peter, who, who the ancient church called the prince of apostles, okay? And who, put in, in some of those ancient churches, if you will, ancient ecclesiological organizations that still exist today, they, have, they positioned Peter as the highest of apostles and the highest of elders and things like that. And Peter comes right back and says, excuse me, I am a fellow elder. I am a witness of what I saw and what I did, and I'm a partaker with you. See, Peter is not lording it over those leaders in Asia Minor, but he's urging them. He's exhorting them. He's, he's stirring them up. All right? And he says, you guys, my brothers, perhaps even my sisters, we don't know that, okay? You guys, shepherd your flocks. The word shepherd in Greek is, is the word feed, all right? But when you say shepherd, it implies more than just feeding sheep. You tend them, you doctor them, you see that they get fed, you guide them, and you guard them. And also from this word, shepherd, in the Greek language, comes a, a, a noun form of that word, and it's translated pastors. Shepherds and pastors are, are um, linked together. So in Ephesians 4, Paul chooses to do it that way. And there's another form of that word that describes overseers and bishops. In all these cases, shepherds, pastors, overseers, bishops, they are all charged with the spiritual care of the flock of God. And Peter's basically saying, I want you to shepherd like Jesus does. The second half of verse 2, 
He says, I want you to do that, not under compulsion, not under constraint. I don't want you to have your arm twisted up behind your back because somebody's got to do this or I hate this job or whatever. He says, instead, voluntarily, willingly enter into this role as a shepherd. Now, in times of persecution, and Peter said, they're here and they're coming. It's now and it's next. There's more suffering on the way to those churches in Asia Minor. In times of persecution, leaders will be beaten and taken offline. They'll be jailed. They'll be martyred. Some of them will be sent to the galleys and to the mines, which was a death sentence. Then the question is, who steps up? Who steps up to leadership when the pastor's gone? Now, do you remember the 14 qualifications? Now, in here, Peter says, not just 14 qualifications, but willing leadership. And in contrast to that, he says, and it's not for the money, guys. You do this not for, for gain. It's not for the position. It's not for the power. It's not to satisfy any personal drive. It's not for a career. Time was in England that the second, third, or fourth son of some wealthy lord, uh, knowing that his son wasn't going to inherit nothing out of his his uh, estate would arrange to have that second, third, or fourth son given a position as a clergyman. And attached to that position was a lifelong stipend. He would be paid to be in that position for life. And he could make of it himself a career or he could just hunker down and, and be a, a, a village priest. Okay, And Peter says, don't do that. Don't look at it as a career that's going to support you. Now instead, Peter says, with eagerness. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, with passionate desire, go forward into those qualifications and into leadership. Now I want to read Matthew 20 verses 20 to 28. This is, this is one of the snippets out of the Gospels that really bears on spiritual leadership in the church. Okay? Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of Jesus. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? And these two boys, if you will, young men, said to them, Oh, we're able. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand and my left, that is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. See, it wasn't just that these two got in line first and mom came and asked for positions in the kingdom. Now all the disciples jump in and they're jealous. How, you know, they want a piece of this in leadership. <clears throat> but Jesus called them, verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. Verse 26, it is is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. 
and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Say it again. Jesus pointed out that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over those around them. And he turned to his disciples and he says, it is not so among you. I mean, hard and fast, settled, anchored, it is not so among you. That ain't going to change, folks. So Peter's is focusing on a leadership style. And it's the leadership style of Jesus. Not lording it over the flock. But rather, he says in his text, um, in verse 3, he says, but like, like an example, you, you, you are becoming an example. Keyword. The keyword is becoming. So even if you have mastered all those 14 qualifications, you have a way to go. Because you're going to become, you're going to change, you're going to become an example to that flock. It's, it's like a cutting die, if you will. A cutting die that is stamped down into leather or into fabric or into metal, and you get an exact shape. It's like a stamp that makes coins. Okay, you get the exact appearance that has been engraved into the cut, into the into the stamp. It's like a template. It's like it's like software program for computer-driven manufacturing. Every time you get an exact replica, because it matches the software. And Peter says, you become an example like Jesus to your flock. And he, he says it, this is going to be a process, guys. This isn't something you go, why am I got an impartation of being an example? No, you're going to grow into it. And along the way, you'll make some mistakes. Along the way, you know, you're not going to be able to replicate what Jesus looked like when you, when you act. And you go, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's not Jesus. And you learn from that. So at verse 4, Peter says, when the chief shepherd comes. Now, this is a critical thing here. He's saying flat blank, I'm not the chief shepherd. That's Jesus. When the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the unfading crown of of glory. Now, Greek athletes, you know, they win the race, they lift the lift the weights, they wrestle and they throw the opponent, whatever it was. When they win, they got a wreath, usually ivy or some other plant that is crafted into a into a in a, a victor's wreath that they wore on their heads. Bridegrooms and brides, they, there was a wreath of flowers that were put on. Kings who won a great victory and were paraded in a triumph into their cities, into Rome. They would wear the victor's crown. Well, that was a wreath. <clears throat> and, and an example from the, in the natural is, you know, they made wreaths out of the amaranth flowers. Because amaranth flowers held their color. They didn't fade. Now, they would ultimately dry out and turn to powder. Okay? But the color stayed the same. So that was the, the image of, uh, of, of a wreath of victory that would not fade in its color. In this case, it is a crown of glory, of honor and reward, and well done faithful servant that comes to elders. Now read with me 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says, Likewise, 
you younger men, or turn it around, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. That's the first part of that verse. All right, young men, especially in churches, sometimes, perhaps even often, young, young, young believers, young men, look at older mentors and they say, that man has feet of clay. You know, that man spoke sharply to someone. That man, you know, has stumbled financially. He obviously doesn't have quite the control over his household that he should. And so it's really easy for young men to see the flaws in senior leadership. See, but Peter knows that. And he says to them, likewise, just like elders have to rank themselves under the chief shepherd, under Jesus, you young men, be subject, be in submission to those who are your elders, your leaders, your pastors, your shepherds. You rank yourself under them. And then he turns to everybody. He says, and all of you, okay? Next, the next phrase in verse 5, and all of you, that's elders, young men, and the rest of the congregations, every one of the believers, he says, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an order, it's a command. You clothe yourself. Okay? You clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Now, Peter's repeating what he had to say in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. All right? He talked about having a humble spirit, a spirit that, that is just gentle and open and, and is willing to take less than its due. All right? And literally in the Greek, um, when he says clothe yourself, he means, Peter says, tie it on. See, the slaves would tie like a handkerchief or a piece of different colored fabric on the outside of their clothes to distinguish themselves in the marketplace as separate from free men. So you could tell at a glance, that's a slave, that's a slave, that's a slave, that's a free man. Okay? And Peter says, you tie it on. And you tie it once and for all. So what are we tying on? This humility of spirit and, and I would say to you what he intended was, I'm going to put words in Peter's mouth here, okay? My, this is the Patterson interpretation, okay? Doesn't say it in the text, but I think he's going this direction. Okay, when you tie it on once and for all, you wear it on your outside, okay? And that shows up in the words that you choose and how you deliver them. It, it shows up in the deeds that you do, your actions, and it shows up in your appearance. Because you can say, oh, brother, that's a wonderful thing that just happened. But your face says, that's a lie. Okay? So your appearance needs to match that standard of humility, of answering to a higher authority. And then, I, would, I think Peter's talking about having it tied on once and for all inside. Where thoughts, from where thoughts proceed, where dreams are carried, where longings are entertained, okay? In a sense, he's ordering you to position yourself to receive the grace of God. And he continues, and he says, he says in the end of verse 5, he says, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So get ready. Get by in this fashion, get ready to receive the grace of God. 
Ford's family, in, in, in the previous chapter, chapter 4, um, Peter had been talking about the end of all things is at hand, and, and one of his pointed comments was, if you have speaking gifts, you use them. But when you speak, you speak as if the words you speak are the very words of God. Man, is that sobering. Is that humbling. Okay? And then he said, those who have serving gifts, you serve in God's power and graciousness, so he gets the glory. He alone gets the glory, not you. All right, so here, Peter has stirred up the elders and pastors and shepherds in the house churches in Asia Minor and our own elders and pastors and shepherds among us. So you begin to speak and you begin to serve because some of you are becoming leaders now. And I want you to do these three things. I want you to pray for those who lead. That's, that's a high calling, and it is a hard calling, to which God supplies all that's needed to make it free and glorious. All right? Number two, I want you to pray for those who will someday lead. All right? And in the midst of Forge, and, and those of you who are scattered abroad, you see them, you hear them. There are voices rising. There are those who, who model exemplary lives. Okay? Now. But they're not elders. They're not mature yet. But they're on their way. I want you to pray for them. And then third, I want you to tie humility to your heart, to your mind, to your actions, and to your words. Remember, Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve. Remember, Ford's family, um, the enemy of your souls, Satan and his minions, they hate balance. They hate uh, a place where you can stand in peace. And so there are pastors and there are elders who have commercialized their ministry. And it's all about the buck. It's all about power and position and, and having a voice. All right? The enemy can work with that. And also the enemy loves pastors and elders who, who withdraw, who are too quiet, who are too... Too withdrawn. They've withdrawn from life. They've withdrawn from the marketplace. They've also withdrawn within the church. And they have really nothing to say. And the enemy loves that. Instead, what you want to pray for is that balance okay, of humility and dunamis power. The power of God through Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we seek you. We seek him who would raise up humble, Christ-like leadership. Lord, we look around and we say, there are generations missing from the church. There are generations who, have, who know nothing about Jesus. They're informed by their peers. They're informed by the marketplace and media. And they're not yet believers. So Lord, we ask you please to raise up those who will become presently and in the future the leaders that the church desperately needs. And such are some of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, Forge family, I love you. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks.